At the end, he would say he was born out of due time, the world not ready for his message. He was too highly evolved. His principles were too pure, his commitment too deep, his love too all-embracing for this time, for this planet consumed as it was with hatred and racism and greed. Segregated institution in America is the church at 11 o'clock. The most on segregated morning. institution in America the most is the racist church at 11 o'clock institution are the churches. You can hear hate. You can listen to the broadcast over and over. All you can listen to the broadcast, broadcast over and over. All through these religious broadcasts. You can listen to the close ear with the scrutinizing mind. You can hear hate all the time, teaching people to hate one another. Perhaps father was evil decades before. Perhaps he was insincere and cruel and even bestial from the beginning, but he was surely bold and exciting with an animal sexuality. His voice was captivating, his presence commanding, his power was overwhelming. I've got to find out who's willing to think. It's only right that I get somebody to be like I am. All of us are deceived. I want you to be like me. I don't want you to worship me. I want you to be like I am. All I want you to become what I am. I want you to enjoy the fearlessness that I have, the courage that I have, the compassion that I have, the love that I have, the all-encompassing mercy that I am. I want you to be what I am and something greater. I want you to give you more than I have. I want you to be greater than I am. And if you don't want to go this route, then go to hell where you want to, but don't don't bother me. He rose from a silent stage in the early 70s, a passive time, and gathered needed passive followers. So this is their story, too. They, too, complicit in the crime of Jonestown. He would tell them so at the end to urge them on. Father had always thought of himself as a historical figure, and therefore, knowing that everything he said was important, he recorded his descent into history. Starting early on, when the People's Temple was rising with enthusiasm in the Redwood Valley of California, when he proclaimed he was divine. We're dealing with some serious matter. Oh, thank you, And devised ways to show it. All right, thank you, because I'm going to heal you now and save you from the worst death I know your throat being opened up and having a tracheotomy and having uh, unable to speak. I'm going to take away the hoarseness that's in the morning. Now, you just begin to vomit and the cancer will unlodge. <laughs> hands clasped. Hands clasped. Oh, it's all right. Just clap your hands. I think it'll be better. This mountain shall be removed. This mountain shall be removed. Now, just put your hand in there and vomit. Put your hand in. Keep on clapping. She's putting her hand in her mouth. To loose it. To loose it. Now. Now. I feel it loosening. Now it is. Now it is. Now it comes. There it comes. Spit it out. There it is. All of it's gone. Gone. All gone. There it is. The blood. Spit it out on the floor and on the hands. Now, where it's broken, where that tissue, the poison breaks, it'll be an awful bad taste. So give her. There it is. Spit out all the blood all over their hands there on the floor. The cancer's out of her throat. The tumor's healed. Came out of her body. Right now, spit out here before all these thousands of people present. Let's pray. 
can't see anything. When I got through with her with my power, she was not only seeing fingers, but she told me the color of things and told me exactly everything I held Eight in my hand. people were healed of total blindness last week in Los Angeles. Couldn't see their, couldn't see light, I'm talking about. The healing ceremonies were glorious spectacles of often rather amateurish sleight of hand. But Jim was always quite open about the purpose of the ceremony. Do not want the healing of the mind. Heal my toe, honey. Heal my back. Heal my bottom. But don't you heal my mind, because my mind is too sick. Those who didn't like these displays, or later the crude language, left right away. Those who stayed accepted the fraudulence to receive the message, one that became a combustible mixture of sacrilege and socialism. By his own testimony... Father's spark of divinity had ignited into a great flame consuming all other gods. He said that he had come to the world under the guise of religion for the very purpose of destroying religion. And yet many of those who had come to the people's temple from the other churches came with Christianity, and they could say, Why not, in this time, why not the second coming, this time, this man? Christianity was never based on the idea of an unknown God. I'm going to cause you to know that you are what Jesus was. That it's written that you are gods. I'm a God and you're a God. And I'm a God and I'm going to stay a God until you recognize that you're God. And when you recognize you're God, I shall go back into principle and will not appear as a personality. You are but until I see all of you knowing who you are, I'm going to be very much what I am. God Almighty God! For most of those who stayed with Jim, who stayed in the people's temple, devotion was total. Yet Father demanded incessantly expressions of faith and gratitude. And criticism of Jim or the temple was blasphemy and treason. He had saved them from the sin of capitalism. Their salvation would come soon, soon together. Under his guidance and protection, they would become dangerous and therefore important. Just remember, Nothing worse than putting somebody in the corner when they've tried over and over and over to do righteousness and no one receive it. And you get them in a corner, they're extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous, aren't they? And I think you can sense the hands of these people that we are nonviolent people, but we are extremely dangerous. Because we've been fed up with anarchy and fed up with rebellion and fed up with selfishness. Just remember, you don't have anything on me that I care about, because everything that you have on me, I've let it all hang right out for everybody to see. Now you get worried about yourself. I don't mind losing my life. What about you? I don't mind losing my reputation. What about you? 
I don't mind, I don't mind being tortured. What about you? I'm just no longer afraid and I've lost interest in this old world of capitalist sin. And racism, I've lost interest in it. So if somebody wants to make me stay in it by compromising with filthy-minded people that cannot even have respect for somebody that would die for even his enemies, and they want to cause anarchy in our midst, I would just as soon bring it all to a gallant, a glorious screaming end. Bring it to a screeching stop in a one glorious moment of triumph. So you think about it. In the beginning of 1977, Father was at the peak of his power. The temple had churches in San Francisco and Los Angeles, as well as the Redwood Valley. Dad said 20,000 people had joined. His newspaper, The People's Forum, was reaching 600,000 people in the Bay Area, and he had been named the head of San Francisco's housing authority. Jim was being praised by the mayor and the city council, even California's lieutenant governor. But then defectors from the People's Temple, traitors, Dad called them, started telling stories of manipulation and beatings and sexual depravities, things going on behind the closed doors. It happened almost overnight, the exodus to the South American jungle. In the summer of 1977, Jim had been worried a magazine article was being written about the temple, more rumors from the defectors. He tried to get the article stopped and failed, and decided then to take his people to the temple's mission in Guyana, established three years before. The exodus had always been in his mind. Leaving California was exciting. Father said his people were persecuted and chosen. He talked about the caravans of the Mormons, the long march of the Chinese communists. They were pilgrims on a quest for enlightenment and safety. But Father was on a different quest. He wanted his people to follow him into the jungle, to be alone with the night and his voice. I just want you to know that you're not in danger because you've got to realize you've got your future here. In America, you have no future. You've got all the future in the world. The sanctuary was in the small socialist country of Guyana on the northeast coast of South America. The mission land 24 hours away by boat from the capital city of Georgetown. A trip through silty coastal waters and then inland upriver slowly along the Gaituma. The Guyanese government had wanted people to settle here, but despite the lush jungle vegetation, it wasn't good land for farming. It was the proverbial desert, disguised as the Garden of Eden. The rains would come and the jungle would grow, but that was all. And yet there was a strange beauty here. The trade winds blew constantly, cooling the intense heat. The air was clean, the sunsets were lovely. The tropical birds and the exotic fruits, all a welcome change from the noise and the filth of the San Francisco streets. Their energy pleased the Guyanese. Land was cleared, crops were planted, wooden buildings were put up. Officials would often come to Jonestown to see how the pilgrims were doing, perhaps to learn lessons for their own people. 
and to check on the health and education facilities. And sometimes experts came to give lectures about what was out there in the jungle. Then the North American call snakes, I think you have a rhyme. Red on yellow, kill a fellow. Red on black, venom lack. I don't know how many of you know that rhyme. You are not in North America anymore. Forget it. It does not work on the South American brand. So, if you see a snake with black, red, and yellow rings right around the body, there's a good chance that you're looking at a coral snake. He is really bad medicine. If, he get, if you get bitten by one of those, then you do get a really bad bite. And you don't want a doctor. You want a preacher. The Americans settled in to their new life in the jungle. Safe now, it seemed, far away from the enemies. But it was soon learned not far enough. In the radio room at Jonestown, Dad made a tape recording, a memo to be sent to the Guyanese officials. The message was an explanation of a problem that had come up, a problem caused by, as Jim called it, revolutionary sex. Some years ago, Assistant District Attorney, who is a member of our church, Timothy Stone, came to me and other members of our governing body, which is the Central Committee that governs all of our churches. He stated that his wife was quite likely to commit treason. I had known uh, prior to this time that his wife, Mrs. Stone, seemed to have some sexual interest in me. He confirmed that matter and asked me to try to keep her in our church by that means. Of course, my wife was consulted about the situation before it began, and she too agreed that we should attempt to utilize whatever method, short of violence certainly, that was necessary to keep this woman because she was making various threats that unless I showed her some attention, she was going to do one thing or another of a devious nature. Out of this unholy union came a beautiful son. I love this child deeply. And she has now shown her true reactionary colors and gone back to her bigoted families who are openly racistic. I would rather die than see the child brought up in such an environment. Needless to say, this is the reason why I'm staying close to our new home of Guyana these days. That was Jim's side of the story. There was another. Timothy Stone had once sworn that Jim had indeed sired the child, John Victor, but now he said that wasn't true, that he'd signed the paper under duress. And Grace Stone would also insist that her husband, not Jim, was the true father. There has never been any real proof. Only two months after they got to Guyana, 
Grace Stone's attorney traveled to Georgetown to ask the Guyanese court to enforce the legal order from California giving custody to the mother of the child. The attorney expected cooperation from the Guyanese authorities and expected to take John Victor Stone back to California. Jim had different ideas, and the first white night took place. The first night in this strange land when they would not know if they would live or die. There with the rain and the mud, the people of Jonestown decided they would never allow John Victor Stone, Jonestown's child, to be taken away. Jim's voice on the loudspeakers deployed them out into the dark. They stood in defiance, a wet, bedraggled group. Even the children, even the sick and the old, with machetes and pitchforks waiting for the attack Jim promised was coming, waiting for the first sniper's bullet. And Jim went into the radio room to contact Temple headquarters in San Francisco by short wave. He felt betrayed by the Guyanese government. The government he thought he could control was coming to arrest him. This, this would not happen. The Minister of Justice can stop this from happening. We will not allow any of our people to be taken. And of course, we cannot wait here endlessly, endlessly, because we have only so much food and so much resources. We're people who live by pacifism, but we do have the right to die, and everyone made that decision. Anyone that wanted not to was given permit, permission to leave. But we will die unless we are given freedom from harassment and given asylum somewhere. The Guyanese police had come to Jonestown to serve Jim with the legal papers. He hid from the police when they came. They nailed the papers to one of the buildings and left. Jim was now in contempt of court. And as the night went on, the shortwave radio crackled in the air with Mother Marceline pleading with her husband from San Francisco. Believe me, I also offered to be arrested, but the people voted unanimously not to let me go. I'm right. glad to go. I'm right. glad to go. No, no problem about it, Marston. I'm glad to be arrested. Life no. has no meaning other than principle. And I could not let this child go to her. She, by his own testimony, by his own testimony from his heart, when I asked him if he wanted to go back with her, it would be all right with me. I wanted him happy. He told me some of the most horrible things she did that you could ever imagine that she did to him and said to him. I want peace for my children. I want them to live. I want them to have a future. They're wanting to die too quickly, some of them. I am the one that's holding back. Roger, Roger. Uh, I just want to say that I am your wife. I've been your wife for 28 years. I know the pain and suffering you've gone through for socialism, for complete economic and racial equality. I know about the beautiful child, John, and I know why he was conceived, and I was very much involved with it. I know the pain that you've suffered, and 
But the greatest decision in history would not happen that night. The threat of mass suicide worked. The police would not come to get John Victor Stone, nor would they ever come back to get Father. And the first white night in the jungle became part of Jonestown mythology of victory. And they could threaten again with the conviction that their adversaries would always back down. We stood up and resisted, and I won the battle on the PA system and on the front lines. You ought to tell the story. I mean, I'm a short way. You were here. How many were here? I won. I said, anything happens, I got, and I got more radios. One of the things I worked out, even when I had customs, was still one little department that still got some agents in it. They weren't going to give them to me. What did I want with it? It was a story of glory. I want to be sure that any time anything comes our way, I can talk to the whole world. You ought to tell the story. The story of glory. See what I'm saying? I won. I, I said, if a thing happens, I got, I got more radio. One of the things I worked out, even when the customs are still one of the department that still got the main thing. There's a story of blue. The people of the temple worked long days in the fields, stood in long lines for food, and at night after dinner, they would be assembled in front of the pavilion for the town forum meetings. Everyone, even the children, almost a thousand people looking up at Father. He would ascend to the big wooden chair cushioned with pillows, a small table beside him, a cup of soda pop always full. His aide stood behind him, the temple band off to one side. And for long hours, well into the morning, he would hold forth as the leader and inquisitor and judge, father and God. He led the songs and the prayers and the trials and told them of fearful events happening out in the world they had escaped. He was their only source of information, their only dispenser of justice. Just before their only Christmas in the jungle, Jim's mother died. She had come with them to Jonestown. The death came at a tense time. The U.S. government had stopped sending the Social Security checks, a mistake that was quickly corrected, but it was perceived as a threat since the seniors of the temple were bringing in about $40,000 a month. The night after his mother died, Jim talked about the death. He was bitter. He blamed the people for making his mother worry. And then he talked about much more have to get to do. I didn't do that. No, I never did in the States, but I do it now. I buy whatever the hell I can get. Hmm? You know you can buy a telephone bill? I can buy your mail. You can buy anything in the United States. Yes, you may go to the restroom. They'll take our money to give us information about the FBI. Don't tell me they won't, because I've already got it. They take my money to give me information on who Grace, Grace Stone's talking to, and don't spare her neck. If you're going to commit treason, you better be sure you know who you're dealing with. Because after we were all dead over here, you might go to a social party after you're trying to get your little reward, your little 30 pieces of silver for selling out 
the greatest people on earth, and you walked in with the Judas tribe, and the wife of Judas might be one of the ladies I'd laid to make a socialist. And she might give you slow poison in your champagne. You don't know how clever I am. One thing you've all done is underestimate me. I made plans for treason long ago because I knew I couldn't trust nothing. I knew I couldn't trust anything but communism and the principle in me, yes, restroom. I knew that that's what I had to depend upon, not depend upon the arm of the flesh, and never put all your eggs in one basket. So, honey, I put my eggs in many places. And you figure that out if you want to. Some of you are too naive. You don't know what, I'm, what, what Jim Jones is all about. You can't even follow him. You haven't even, you haven't even smelled where he's at yet, you, much less followed him. You don't even know who he is, and you might miss him. If you didn't have a real good look at him, you wouldn't even know who he looked like. You really haven't gotten next to him, but I've got all kinds of things in store. You, you who are stupid pissants and reptiles and lower than the primates, you could make a whoopee if you want, but uh, your whoopee makes me sicky. And so you can make your whoopee while I do something that's far more significant. I got me some big plans, both here, there, and everywhere. Mm -hmm. Got lots of plans. Thousands of miles away in California, the relatives of Jonestown residents, their contact cut off from their loved ones by dad, were becoming troublesome, a group was formed called Concerned Relatives, and with the prize defectors Timothy and Grace Stone, the custody battle for John Victor became the center of the challenge. They also sent a petition to the U.S. State Department charging human rights violations in Jonestown. It was complicated. For many years, Father had worked to break down blood ties. The bonds to him had to be much stronger. A crisis developed between Jonestown and the concerned relatives. In a newspaper, a parent was quoted as threatening to liberate his son from the jungle using mercenaries. And in Jonestown, a new theme for hysteria, father imagining out loud gruesome scenes of paratroopers falling from the sky above them, invading the sanctuary. Father set up a stronger and more visible security force armed with crossbows and often with guns. The people were frightened, but some were also proud. How could there be heroism without a strong enemy? The troubles continued, more accusations from California still unproven. The relatives back home, now the enemy, now became despised. And at night, the people of Jonestown lined up in front of the pavilion, eager to get to the microphone to testify, to tell Jim and the congregation the best story of what they would do to their families if they had the chance. Just tell us right quick, one line, what do you think should be done with your relative? I'd like to kill my so-called brother and um, Bill Aarons for the crap that both of them has, have caused over these years since they've left. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sandy knew that this was the last hope for many people, including children, and when she wants to lie, ally herself 
with people who wish to destroy this place, I think she should be wiped out. How? It happened to occur to me a good way of beating somebody up is to have them christened like a boat. If her skull was split, it would serve a good purpose. I sure don't want to give that christening of the boat to my my precious black loved ones back there, because that don't mean much to anybody but the middle class, and they would definitely get that wrong. <laughs> um, I think that Mrs. Tupper should die, and um, that um, I should um. Mrs. Tupper, Mrs. Tupper, this always kills me. This family, <laughs> Mrs. Tupper. <laughs> He's always been Mr. Tupper. Everybody calls me Mr. Tupper. I don't want to know it. It's funny. I like it. Mr. Tupper, go ahead. I think that I should um, take a knife and cut Mr. Tupper all up real good. <laughs> and, uh... Cut him up real good. And then make him look like, you know, um, cut him up and then put poison him and invite all, all my relatives over there and have him eat him and then I'll die. <laughs> You've been talking to Reb, that's what you've been doing. My mom is a damn fool. Hope I, I hope I knock the fucking shit out of you. <laughs> you. I'm glad I put my life on the line to save you. Say my mom is a goddamn fool. I beat the fucking shit out of her. I dare, I dare come out because I'd be the one that's, uh, I'm a shot her. Good. <laughs> My mama's a goddamn fool. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. Five, four, three, two, one. One, two, three, four, five. Five, four, three, two, one. How do you copy me? Father demanded a news conference by shortwave radio. The press gathered in the office of the temple's attorney in San Francisco waiting to hear a statement from Jonestown that okay, was to refute start. the charges of the relatives. And in the jungle, in the radio room, Father was ready. He stood close as one of his aides took the microphone. My name is Harriet Trock. I have a law degree and I'm currently teaching at the Jonestown Community School. I have a statement to make on behalf of People's Temple in response to the grossly false and malicious statements that continue to be made about our community here in Guyana. Do you copy? And with Jim whispering instructions, Harriet charged that the allegations of the concerned relatives were cruel and monstrous lies, that the relatives wanted to bring mayhem to the promised land. Say, and they're a small number compared to all the relatives who are planning to visit you. Okay, I have a long statement on that, but I've got to put it in there. But then she made more clear, more public the totality of their commitment. Finally, we would like to address ourselves to a point that has been raised, it seems, about some statement supposedly issued officially by People's Temple, but whose authorship we here are unaware of, to the effect that we prefer, prefer to resist harassment and persecution, even if it means death. Those who are lying and slandering our work here, it appears, are trying to use this statement against us. We are not surprised. Do you copy? However, it would seem that any person with any integrity or courage would have no trouble understanding such a position. Do you copy? 
Dr. Martin Luther King reaffirmed the validity of ultimate commitment when he told his Freedom Riders, quote, we must develop the quiet courage of dying for a cause, close quote. And we, likewise, affirm that before we will submit quietly to the interminable plotting and persecution of this politically motivated conspiracy, we will resist actively putting our lives on the line if it comes to that. Do you copy? They will very, very shortly. They will hear the statements from the people very shortly. I am almost finished. This has been the unanimous vote of the collective community here in Guyana. We choose as our model not those who march submissively into gas ovens, but the valiant heroes who resisted in the Warsaw Ghetto. Patrick Henry captured it when he said simply, give me liberty or give me death. If people cannot appreciate that willingness to die if necessary, rather than to compromise the right to exist, free from harassment and the kind of indignities we have been subjected to, then they will never understand the integrity, the honesty, and the bravery of People's Temple, nor the depth of commitment of Jim Jones to the principles he has struggled for all his life. Do you copy? I am about finished. Thus clothed with the mantle of Martin Luther King and Patrick Henry, they had made the ultimate commitment. Their vote was unanimous. It always was. Anyone who wants to tear this down is a sadist, a criminal, or a neo-Nazi. They would not be submissive in slaughter. They would be like the heroes of the Warsaw Ghetto. We are happy here. Do you copy? Perhaps this bravado drew little more than smiles from the people in San Francisco. So distant was it from their reality. But in the jungle, it was not a laughing matter. But I don't ever say hate is your enemy. Love has practically caused me to just get you destroyed. If I had hated a little more, just a little more, we would have had a little less trouble. Because I look at my faults analytically. Sure, you've got to love principle, but don't say hate is my enemy. What did it say? What's that word? Hate is my enemy. I've got to fight it day and night. And what else is the other the line? Love is the only weapon. Shit! Bullshit! Martin Luther King died with love! Kennedy died talking about something you couldn't even understand, some kind of generalized love, and he never even backed it up. He shot down. Bullshit! Love is the only weapon with which I got to fight. I got a hell of a lot of weapons to fight. I got my claws, I got compasses, I got guns, I got dynamite, I got a hell of a lot to fight. I'll fight! I'll fight! I'll... I will fight! I will fight! I will fight! I will fight! Let them hear it in the night!
Let the night roar with it. They're out there. They're out there. They're listening. Let the night roar with it. Let the night roar, because they can hear us. They know we mean it. We'll kill them as they come. In Guyana, the grand experiment went on. More jungle land was cleared, more buildings went up, including a school, a large library, and the mission's health clinic, the best equipped in the area, the young Jonestown doctor, Lawrence Schacht, who dad had saved from drug addiction, even performed a cesarean operation taking instructions over the shortwave radio. And when a doctor from the States visited Jonestown, he praised Schacht as a modern-day Albert Schweitzer. But father was not happy. He felt trapped, and he was sick, a stomach fungus, difficult to diagnose, causing a high fever. When people have given their all, we've gone through hell and high water and sacrifice. You think I'm going to let somebody betray that? He talked about the dissidents among them, those planning treason. He feared the secret resistor, the one who had learned to mouth the gratitudes to sing the songs with gusto, to keep awake for the endless monologues in the people's rally. But anyway, if you were to run away, and you got all the way back to New York or Chicago, you won't get by. And Father was frightened of those who were trying to find a way to escape. The least indication of disaffection was to be reported. Anybody got any question about such a policy? Some tricky tests were devised, such as planting a disloyal statement just to see if it would get back to father. You sure you understand the policy? And children began to spy on their parents. And be careful. When Santa Claus is checking his list, going over twice, seeing who's naughty and who's nice. For many, the experience in the jungle had drained their spirit and their soul dry. There had been so many crises, so many catharses, as father grandly called his rebukes to them personally, that they were simply exhausted. And some, some began to long for the final crisis because the endless manufactured, unresolved emergencies had become the real hell. There was, however, some stirring of rebellion. If a direct challenge to Jim's authority were to come, it would be from the elite of the camp, among them many well-educated professional people lawyers, nurses, social workers, former professors and psychologists. So elitism and intellectualism had to be crushed by a simple method. Dad would send an intellectual to the psychological department, the ultimate Jonestown punishment. I'd just like to say about that comment I made that only intellectuals like me can I just, I wasn't really referring uh, to, I wasn't referring, I wasn't referring to the group that I felt that I was smarter than anyone else. I just, I just meant that I was referring to people of 
that are familiar with the arts and have you know, sort of kind of intellectual background, but I I really don't uh, consider myself as an intellectual. Mm-hmm. So I really I just use that word, but I really wasn't referring to the to the group. You'll be moving in with Brother Bikeman, and you won't be very well for a while. And I hope that you uh, learn, because I have to exert my power with a sense of justice and will. Because you have stepped too far. It's time you knew what Marx and Lenin and all of those thoughts, comparable thinkers, have to say about present conditions. I expect him to do his study and his homework in the introduction of socialism. I expect you to do it. When you are back in good health, I expect you to be on the job and doing your task when you are back in good health. For many, the experience in the jungle had drained their spirit and their soul dry. There had been so many crises, so many catharses, as Father grandly called his rebukes to them personally, that they were simply exhausted. And some, some began to long for the final crisis because the endless manufactured, unresolved emergencies had become the real hell. There was, however, some stirring of rebellion If a direct challenge to Jim's authority were to come, it would be from the elite of the camp, among them many well-educated professional people, lawyers, nurses, social workers, former professors and psychologists. So elitism and intellectualism had to be crushed by a simple method. Dad would send an intellectual to the psychological department, the ultimate Jonestown punishment. I just like to say about that comment I made that only intellectuals like me can understand it. I just I wasn't really referring uh, to I wasn't referring I wasn't referring to the group that I felt that I was smarter than anyone else. I just I just meant that I was referring to people of, that are familiar with the arts and have you know, sort of kind of intellectual background, but I, I really don't uh, consider myself as an intellectual. Mm-hmm. So I really, I just use that word, but I really wasn't referring to the, to the group. You'll be moving in with Brother Bikeman and you won't be very well for a while. And I hope that you uh, learn, because I have to exert my power with a sense of justice and will. Because you have stepped too far. It's time you knew what Marx and Lenin and all of those thoughts, comparable thinkers, have to say about present conditions. I expect him to do his study and his homework in the introduction of socialism. I expect you to do it. 
when you are back in good health, I expect you to be on the job and doing your task when you are back in good health. and let's sing United Forever. Seven months before the end, one of Dad's inner circle got away. Deborah Layton Blakey, who for years had been intimately involved with the innermost secrets of the temple, part of a group of younger white women intensely loyal to Jim. But Jonestown was not what she had expected, so she said later. But she kept quiet about her rebellion, and her chance came. She was sent to Georgetown guy in his capital to work at the temple headquarters there. And one morning, Deborah Blakey went to the American embassy in Georgetown to ask for protection and for passage back to the United States. She spent two days telling the embassy officials all that was going on in Jonestown. Before they had only hearsay evidence, now they had a first-hand account. For Jim, this defection was a catastrophe. He had trusted Deborah Blakey, and he had sort of a hostage system. When temple agents were sent out on secret missions, they usually left relatives behind, and Blakey's mother was still there. But when Jim found out and called for his people to gather at the pavilion, he didn't talk about Deborah Blakey. He brought up other problems. He said the American and the Guyanese governments were joining in conspiracy to end his glorious experiment. Who in the hell wouldn't be ready for a white night? Don't I'd like for one to come and not pass? His wife, Mother Marceline, stood by his side, never disputing him now, and shouting out threats in a grainy voice that resonated with his... I'll tell you one thing, if you're counting on me letting you out, forget it. Every day I've lived since I was a child. First time I felt guilt when a little dog died, I wanted to commit suicide. But I had still some little dogs and cats alive that had me alone to take care of them. But at that age, that's all that kept me through. Then a little bit later, my mom needed me and some poor soul down the road needed me that was poor and minority, been treated badly. And then come along the black in the community that I always was their champion. It's always been that way. Somebody needed me. So you can do what you have to do because I stay alive and do all this thinking. And I am bored and I am disgusted and I am sick with people who do so little with socialism when they have such a good example to follow. Father went on and on into the night. His congregation, scared and confused and worried, he needed them now even more. They responded often with shouts of praise and murmurs of amen and lined up to come to the microphone to testify to their love for him and their love for socialism, a love so pure they would do anything to prove it. 
commit suicide, even kill their children. How do you feel about it? You may die tonight. Dad, from 68 to 69, the captain sent me to Vietnam to fight a war that I didn't know anything about. I had no principle to die in that war. You have saved my life so many times, Dad. Now I don't have no life of my own. I'm living on your time. I would die for you right now, Dad. I'm willing to face the front line with you right now. Thank you, Dad. Since I've been here, I've, I've all I've seen is the beauty of socialism, and I feel that my life is fulfilled. And if death comes, it's no, it's no big deal to me because I've already lived my life just being here with the family. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. We will, we will find the black candles, not this dust. I'm, I'm prepared to die for this family if I have, have to for freedom. Thank you, Dad. I'm also prepared to die after 44 years of uh, not being able to uh, contribute anything to this life or uh, finding any point or reason for it at all. And uh, not being well known uh, at all, there sure would be no glory in it. But uh, for the children here, for the freedom, as long as there's one remains on this earth that isn't free, none of us are free. And I'm prepared to give my life if need be. No, I'd give mine in the place of hers. Would you like her to be free to write a fascist then? Hold it now. He, I've got on a sensitive point that maybe you think about it. He, he, they brought up a sensitive question, and you may not understand the gravity of that question, but all of our children have faced this. We went through white nights, so they'll not be hurt by it. We haven't had any child <laughs> causing us any difficulties by facing this kind of thought. Jerry, the question would be, if the fascists were coming up the road right now and we were going to lay down our lives and fight for it you say you would give your life for your child but would you leave it for the fascists to have what would you do in that case came to that i would have to take her life fine you understand that you understand that when you but she's she's so old she'd fight how old is your child? Eleven. And she passed the age. We fight at eleven. It's under that that we consider that. She would take up a cutlass and fight till she was dead. Unless it came to an overwhelming invasion, then we would gently put them to, to sleep, which we have, but they never know what hit them. We are already prepared for that. A people who are really loving and a father who's genuinely compassionate is prepared for all such emergencies. But you don't do that as long as there's alternatives in which you can make a mark. You don't do that unless there's alternatives. All alternatives are closed for you to make a mark against fascism. Uh, yes, I think we all should die tonight if it's our turn. I'm willing, Father, to stand with you all the way, just like I always have told you three years ago. As everything seems and will always be the same. I'm not changing. You don't need to say, you don't need to say no more. I, I, I remember know. your fight. I love you, Father. I know you do. I know some of my people that others go, I felt like they're going to hate you. When they hate you, they hate me. Right. I'll tell you the truth. I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. You're the only father I have. You're the only family I have. Sure I give up my brother I remember you fighting. To you. you. I remember when you sang, I never heard him. Sing it for us right now. I'm going to sing it for you. Yeah. All the days of my life. 
ever since I've been born. I never heard a man speak like this man before. I never heard a man speak like this man before. All the days of my life, ever since I've been born, I never heard a man speak like this man before. The concerned relatives in California had found an important ally, a congressman, Leo Ryan. His district was outside San Francisco, where Jim still had some strong political influence. Congressman Ryan had a niece who had become deeply involved with Scientology, and he sympathized with the torment of the temple relatives who came to him for help. And Leo Ryan had always been attracted to unorthodox, highly visible causes like baby seals and whales. Six months before the end, Ryan was making real trouble. He asked the Department of State to investigate Jim's passport, and he wrote a letter to the temple declaring his support for Timothy and Grace Stone in the battle over the child. And the congressman wanted to know when he could visit Jonestown. In the jungle in Jonestown, Father was worried and intrigued. A confrontation was possible, a cataclysmic confrontation, the gallant moment watched by an admiring world. However, at the same time, Dad wanted to get away from Guyana to a final sanctuary, truly beyond the reach of the class enemies, as he called them. He wanted to go to the Soviet Union, Cuba was also a possibility. Contacts had been made with the Cuban embassy. The choice, though, between Russia and Cuba was something to be discussed and voted on. Go ahead. Daddy, I, t- I come in to tell you I don't want to go to Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pop. Dad, I want to say that I don't want to go to Cuba. You don't. Why, and honey? You said you wasn't going. No, I didn't say that. No, I, what I mean, you said... I didn't you, say that. I said if one of you couldn't get in, I won't go, I won't get off the boat. If you stay, I'll stay. I, I ain't decided where I'm going, so how in the hell do you know what you, you go with me? These people are going whether I go or not. They're voting. How many are going to, how many want to go to Cuba? Edward Moore? Which way is Cuba, Edward? What's that? It's over that way. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, out by the Pigry? To the northwest of Pigry. Oh, thank you. Dad, I, I think I'm a very dependent personally on your leadership, on the family being intact. I think a lot of other people are. Uh, I think if we go to Cuba, we won't be in the same position. To, uh, maybe in the beginning, they'll accept us as an intact group with your leadership. We might not always be in that position. You're very humble about saying that you'll do whatever is necessary and, you know, do whatever ne- work is necessary. By the way, they should be writing up a trap or somebody should write up. There should be some notes. If there's any difficulty, we will certainly, uh, you know, change. I mean, if anybody can take out and can educate, we will more than gladly. Those that can fit in and they can make analysis of, we'll, and we'll be happy. Then if, we, we all, if we're all once there, you know, we got the same situation we got here. We can white knight one place as another. 
Right on. <laughs> Much love. Much love, and I want to see a lot of studying now in the library. Attention, attention. Tonight at 7.45... Here's the day. President Sadat is stopping over in Paris on his way to Washington. Then testing will take place. In Lusaka, African leaders are meeting about Rhodesia. Followed by agricultural session and a catharsis. Now, you go ahead and study your Russian. I'm going to give some news, which you can study on the blackboard. I could play just after. Go ahead and study your Russian. By fall, Father was on the loudspeaker every morning with the news from Radio Moscow. He gave lectures on communist theory and the Soviet Constitution, and language lessons were started. And in the pavilion at night, Father intensified the news quizzes to see if the people were learning fast enough. Okay. What was the basic premise of Mao? Your menu already passed. What was the basic premise of Mao? Mao Zedong said there's only one way a revolution can come. Do you know, Millie? Oh, hold it now. How did Mao Zedong say the only way you can bring a revolution and keep it? Well, the only way I think you can keep it by being peace and being honorable. Oh, shit, I ain't, you know, being at peace. Mao Zedong said that? Oh. No, 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 oh, he's no. the head of China. Oh. He's the head of the revolution of China. He no. marched 6,000 people on no, the line. He's been right. on a long march. I had my mind on something there. Okay, what did he say? Uh, there's only one way you can bring about a revolution for the only people. Way you can, only way you can bring it on that by, is by killing. Well, what is? That's okay. I'm going to let you pass it. But what did he say? He had a nice little phrase that everybody should know. Change only comes... Look at how senior's got it. Change comes through... Through by, <coughs> by a battle of God. That's right, senior. And that's good. Because you, by rights, would have every reason to forget something. Change must come through the barrel of a gun, said Mao Zedong. This place would be a paradise tomorrow if every department had a supervisor with a submachine gun. There'd be no shit here, right? Everybody worked, we wouldn't have no trouble. But that's a shame. Well, we have a right, we have the right to do certain things. The government's suggesting we get armed, so we will be able to enforce our laws. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, dear, you, you passed. And constantly training about what to do, how to act, what to say, what to wear, when important visitors came to Jonestown. What do you call this place? We call it Jonestown. That's right, say we. Good. Now you never say family. Just can say. I'm asking you, what about the weather, dear? The weather. How's the weather out here at Jonestown? I want to know about how the weather is. The weather is beautiful out here. It is. What kind of weather you got? I don't know. Beautiful. What the hell does beautiful mean? I'm going to talk like a reporter could talk. The weather is beautiful. You won't say that. What do you mean, ma'am? What do you mean, madam, the weather's beautiful? What's that mean? It's always nice and warm. It's never cold. So well, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's fair. You see, you can say that. What are your political beliefs? I, I don't have no beliefs. You don't have any beliefs at all? You have no beliefs at all, woman? What do you believe in? In my own beliefs. What are your beliefs? Socialist? No. Uh, no, I don't want somebody to say the word because you can't even say it without uh, mis mispronouncing it in the first place. Don't ever use a word unless you can say it. Uh, socialist, socialist, socialism. I I'm sick of this shit, but everybody ought to know how to say it. Socialism. 
What are your religious beliefs, madam? Okay, I ask her. You should avoid the reporters like a plague, honey, because you don't think well on your feet. You just say hi. And some of you out there are still with me. You never nod your head. You never smile. You don't do shit. Where are you? Two people came to Jonestown to celebrate the epic nature of the noble experiment. Fried is going to be here for many days, too, so you got to keep this policy going on. We'll go on with classes and stuff They like came that. as myth-makers. One was the temple's greatest supporter back in California, Mark Lane, Dr. Mark Lane, his father called him. The other, Donald Freed, a playwright and novelist, who told father he and the Jonestown struggle would be a good subject for a Hollywood movie. Today, we are very privileged and honored to have with us Don Freed. He's written books about the assassinations of President John F. Kennedy and Senator Robert Kennedy. He's currently involved in an investigation of the truth behind the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, the great civil rights leader. You've seen the People's Temple community in Jonestown. Could you give us some of your reflections and observations, not only on the nature of the project, but of its significance? Um, this is not, could not be called a utopia, it seems to me. It really is a sophisticated socialist uh, dialectical materialist experiment and the dialectic between the people here where they've come from in the United States each one with their story and then this sort of existential present as the jungle gives way to schools and dispensaries and agriculture and, and culture um, I think no place in the world offers a microcosm of what we loosely call human nature. I just want to close by telling you that uh, this has been an absolutely rare experience. I guess you hear that from everybody who comes here, but let me uh, join with the chorus then. You know, to get on that train in Georgetown, and to, it's, it's going back to the 19th century in terms of the modes of, trans <laughs> mode of transportation, going back a, a century earlier. The, uh, the heritage of uh, British imperialism, of course, is to move back every country, which is a colony, at least uh, one century beyond where it should be at the present time. But you go there, and you're in the 19th century, until you stop right down there, and then you come on into here, and you don't just come up to the 20th century, you're in the future all of a sudden. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a, it's a big move. And either either this is the future, or there won't be any. Because that's so true. That's so true. The people of Jonestown thought about the future a lot. Father kept them confused and hoping. They knew, though, that they would not be going back to America. Very late one night, Father called one of the seniors up to the stage, a man who had made the mistake of telling friends about wanting to make just one more visit home. All right, how many witnesses are to, to him saying that he wanted to go back to the States? Now, when he took Father literally, when Father was saying that these people that want to go back so bad, 
He said, well, after all the people get here, you can get your money and go back or swim back or anywhere you go. But he took probably literally that, he took that he little... He can. By the time we get ready, all of our people get ready to go back, he can float back. That's what you told him. And he took it, he took it. I mean that seriously. Yeah. I'm not playing. Mm -hmm. He said, I really want to get away from him by Christmas, I will be gone. That may be true. That may be true. By Christmas, do you want to be gone? By Christmas, do you want to be gone? By Christmas, do you want to be gone? I would ask you, could I go home to make a trip to see my people? By Christmas, you'd like to be gone? I would like to make a round trip ticket. By Christmas, I'm asking you one question. You have listened here many times to what I've said, and I do not intend now to repeat myself. I have established myself on this proposition unequivocally clear, and I have now moved from an administrative socialist office into the office of Savior. Do you want to be able to go home, what you call home, by Christmas? No, no. I wouldn't intend until after you people get your folk could try to go home. You see, you get all the folks over. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living. Now, you find this humorous. I'm now in my office. I have the power to send you home by Christmas, but it's not on Transworld Airlines. Just take anything and make a big thing out of it. That's not a big thing. That's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. They may find good humor in your much badgerings. I do not. It's blasphemy to talk about going back when you have not been given any approval. When there's been no, even no request or even any mandate made. Now, if I cease meditating for you, you won't need to go home. Do you want to go home? Oh. Well, then be seated and shut your mouth and don't be in my face anymore. For many months, the temple had been talking to Fyodor Timofeyev, the third secretary of the Soviet embassy in Georgetown, reportedly a major in the KGB. Timofeyev had arranged for positive articles about Jonestown to appear in the Soviet press. Father wanted to make the last part of the epic journey of persecution to Russia. The Jonestown basketball team and the Temple Band were set to make a cultural exchange going to Moscow. It would also be a scouting mission to look for a new home for the Temple. Dad said the most likely place was a balmy locale on the east coast of the Black Sea, a region known as Krasnodar. It was so warm there that oranges grew on the trees, and in winter only a light dusting of snow. The talks with Timofeyev had become more serious. Dad said he wanted to arrange to transfer the temple's fortune to Soviet banks. But the diplomat was cautious. He wanted to know more about Father. He expressed concern about Jim's cult of personality. 
So happy to have you with us, comrade. Comrade, 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 comrade. You hear? Don't say brother. Say comrade. How many will say comrade now? And so if 5% of us say comrade, at least you'll know we got some comradery here. Everybody say comrade. Okay. Everything you can see, please use your mind to straighten this up and clean it up. All during that time, say Comrade Jim, Comrade Jim, Comrade Marcelin too, Comrade Marcelin, what? All the displays up, yeah, you bet you. All the Soviet pictures, Lenin there, and, and you got, what's his name, that other old fool. I love you very much. Think now as you go down the path, please, on healings, blessings, protections, Father cares. Father cares. You can tell in his voice he cares. He cares and he'll be with you all the way. Good night, my darling. Good night, comrade. Good night, comrade. Good night. Good night, comrade. Good night, Finally, Timofeyev came to Jonestown along with the Soviet doctor. An official visit, a tour, long discussions with father, a banquet and speeches and music. In 1981, everything will have changed. You will see, you will see, you will see. You will stay. have come through here in the name of socialism. Hundreds of guests, but for the first time, and now I give you without further ado, the consular and the chief of the press department of the, the embassy of the USSR of Guyana, so proudly, Theodore Timofeyev. Will you come forward? deserving of your welcome and your praise. First of all, on behalf of the Embassy of the USSR, I'd like to send to you my deepest and our deepest and the most sincere greeting to the people of the first socialist and communist community of the United States of America in Guyana and in the world. This gentleman said something that I cannot quote here. It gave me more peace than ever before. 
I know after I heard his words, I didn't need to worry about my family, Jonestown, anymore. sick and seemed scared. You are insane. You don't understand the dire danger of the jungle. You Thank you very much. I love you, but I must be stern in the defense of the lives of our children. You could not survive in the jungle if you were to get there. The snakes that can make your leg nothing but a mass of open ulceration. Check it in the medical office, and your eyes go blind, and they'll be paralyzed. Snakes that kill within three hours or 20 minutes. Crocodiles that devour you in one gulp. Quicksand that swallows you up over your head just beyond East House. You have no business going in the jungle. I thank you. I love you. The fever stayed and got worse. The fungus honeycombed his lungs. So I'm asking you to be extremely careful. Do not wander out where the tigers are. Ask Ricky Johnson about that. When he was out there and lost, he felt the tiger brush right by him. They get him. We advise you to follow that procedure 1,000%. Thank you very much. His diabetes gave him terrible headaches, made him dizzy. His hands and wrists were swollen to clown-like proportions. He's fine now. He's conscious and he's alert, so don't worry. Enemies can't kill him. He's going to get all of our enemies. His blood pressure soared to the stroke level. I am very emotionally disturbed with another traitor who has stolen our money. It only amounted to a few thousand dollars. But I am disturbed that that's what caused my heart attack. Someone in the state, and I'll get every last damn one of them. I want to tell you, every last damn one of them will die. They will die. I declare unto you, I will not stop until every last one of them is dead, and I'm a long way from death. Even though I was three minutes dead, I'm a long way from dead. He had lost 40 pounds. If nothing happened, he would soon die of natural causes. For the third time running, someone has tried to poison my food. 
We have the sediments we're going to study them under the microscope. What kind of beast do we have in our midst? The addiction had begun in late summer, starting with brandy and quaaludes, then injections of tranquilizers and antidepressants. Father thought he had cancer, so he started taking powerful antibiotics as well, destroying any natural defenses his body had left. His speech slurred, his mouth was dry. He licked his lips constantly. Most of the time he lay in his bed, drugged, naked, delirious. Father looked and sounded pitiful. And the sight of him instilled in some of the people a desperate desire to escape. In others, the will to commit suicide, suicide before Father wanted it to happen. If you feel suicidal, I may be able to lift certain burdens. Don't be so silly as to lay your life down to give the fascist a laugh and the newspapers a headline. Please, if you can't relate to that, relate, relate to the Wilmington 10 or Patrice Lumumba or Steve Biko. How many, how many do I have to name? This is horror. This is horror of horrors that we would let down people like that. I can't imagine it. A congressman was coming. And they've got a congressman they want to come in who's close to the member of the John Birch Society just to drop on, drop in. And my opinion is to tell him to stick it. Leading a real invasion, real enemies, including the newsmen and the concerned relatives. Father said the congressman had supported fascist dictatorships and racism. The congressman was wicked. His invasion was evil. They must be ready. I've got to be involved in the radio room at night because of a master plan to try to tear up our right to freedom. Just days before the congressman would arrive, a drum of a dangerous chemical was unloaded at Jonestown. It was quickly stored away in the clinic, but a few of the people saw it. They tell the most horrible tales. They whip up dreams of madness out of their own nightmares and evil souls. Late on the night of November 17th, after the festivities at Jonestown put on for the visiting press and Congressman Ryan and his staff, a note was given to Ryan from a temple member who wanted to escape. The next day, 14 people asked to leave with the congressman. A televised interview, Father seemed to come apart before a world that watched later. Congressman Ryan was attacked by a man with a knife, not seriously hurt, and he soon left with his staff, with the defectors, with the newsmen. A flatbed truck foddled into the jungle, carrying the gunmen. Father called them his Red Brigade. If they come in here by night, they are finished. Thank you. Much love. Dad climbed up into his chair for the last time his first words I've tried to give you a good life 
His voice was strong again, perhaps the last power he could bring to himself as savior. He said they were sitting on a powder keg. Things had happened. The fascists would soon come after them. And when the troops came in along that muddy road, they had better not find anyone alive because they would torture them. They would start with the babies and then the seniors. So Father made his final proposal. There was not immediate agreement. The people wanted to talk about it. What about Russia, somebody asked. Father said it was too late. How could Russia accept them now, now that the murders had happened? Maybe the congressman was still alive. Maybe the plane had not fallen from the sky. No, Jim said. The congressman was dead, and three newsmen were dead, and a defector was dead. The line formed. The children were first. The seniors next. Be kind to the seniors, Dad said. Some seemed peaceful, even grateful. Others fearfully doubtful, but they saw no escape, no rescue. A few resisted physically. They were held down, the poison injected. There was screaming, almost chaos. Father had said it would not hurt, and now he scolded those who made a fuss. The screaming was not dignified, not communistic. But many now knew that this had nothing to do with communism. And a few got away. An old man lay in a ditch pretending he was dead. An old woman slept through it all. A security man tricked a nurse and hid under a house. And one man made his way to the back of the crowd. There, a guard, a woman, challenged him with a crossbow. No, sister... He just wanted to say farewell to some friends. She softened, they embraced. And when she turned away to look again at what was going on in front of the pavilion, he ran for the jungle, fighting his way several hundred yards in, and waited there, perhaps two hours, listening to the wail of pain, slow to end. And then it was quiet. In the dark, he crept back into the camp to get his passport. Across the way, near the pavilion, someone moved. It was Father's nurse. She found Jim on his pedestal, surrounded by his now silent followers, 911 of them. He had swallowed a fistful of barbiturates, but he would not or could not take the poison and there, in the faint light, Father saw the woman. He begged her to shoot him. She arranged his hands across his chest in a pious pose. She put a pillow under his head to make him comfortable. She shot him in the left temple, and then she flung the weapon away in disgust. <laughs> 